good to see everyone this evening. This sweater seemed like a good idea at the time, <laughs> but uh, forgot I had to figure out how to put my mic on it. So uh, may look a little weird right now, but I, I, I didn't think about that beforehand. Um, take out your Bibles, please, and turn over to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 in your New Testament. This is going to be lesson five in your workbook, in the uh, Miracles of Jesus section of your workbook. That's the second half of your workbook. So good to see you today. Hope you've had a, hope you've had a good day. Um, I hope you've been able to continue to stay healthy. I do realize, as you probably do as well, that it is a very chaotic time in our country right now. Uh, we had some... Uh, some very crazy things take place, but what we want to do now is we want to get encouragement from the Bible. We want to stay focused on spiritual things, and uh, we want to remember who we are, the people of God, and we want to consider how our responsibility as Christians and to be the lights in this world, uh, it, is, it is as important as it ever has been. So we want to be mindful of that. We want to be mindful of the strength we're going to get from Jesus. So let's bow our heads and uh, let's have a prayer and we'll get started. OK, let us pray. Almighty God, we acknowledge you, God, as the creator, as the king of the universe, as the one who still reigns on your throne and you hold the world in the palm of your hands. We're so thankful, Father, that we can be Christians, that we can be part of your kingdom. And Father, we pray that you will bless our study tonight, that we will leave here encouraged by the scriptures and our trust in King Jesus will be enhanced. We pray, Father, for our country right now and the difficult things we are enduring during this transition process in our country. We, we pray for peace. Uh, we pray for unity. Uh, we pray for our law, our law enforcement, our, our leaders. We pray for all those people, Father. And we pray for ourselves as your people that we can uh, be respectful of our government and that we will fulfill our responsibilities to the government that is laid out to us in the Bible. We pray that you will bless us in that. We pray that you'll give us good judgment and good wisdom in the days ahead. Father, be with all of our Bible class teachers tonight. Be with our shepherds as they lead your flock here. Be with our young people. Be with the parents and grandparents. Be with the sick and grieving. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, we are continuing in our series of lessons about the miracles of Jesus. So far, we have uh, looked at Jesus' power uh, over blindness. We've looked at his power to heal the blind. We looked at his power to turn water into wine. That was the first miracle, miracle we looked at. And then last time we considered his power over matter, how he's able to create things out of thin air. He miraculously multiplied a few fish and a few loaves of bread and fed thousands and thousands of people. 
Jesus has unlimited power. That's what we're seeing. And we're going to continue to see that tonight as we consider some occasions when, dem when Jesus demonstrated power over nature. Power over the elements. Now, there are at least two times in the Bible where we find Jesus exercising this kind of power. The power over nature. One example is found in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And the other example is found in Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. Now, we're going to study both of these incidents tonight. But as we consider what the Bible says about that, I think it is important that we realize where Jesus exercised this great power. If you recall from your studying of the Bible, Jesus actually exercised this great power over nature on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is where these particular miracles take place. Now, this is a wide shot of Israel and how it would have been divided up in the time of Jesus. You see the Sea of Galilee right here. You go to the south and you see the Jordan River. The Jordan River flows from the Sea of Galilee and eventually dumps into the Salt Sea, which is called the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee is located near Galilee. Notice the significant cities that are surrounding the Sea of Galilee that Jesus did most of his preaching in. Capernaum, his hometown where his residence was as an adult. Bethsaida, where he multiplied the fish and the bread. You have on the other side of it, Gentile territory, the Decapolis, the land of the Gadarenes. You have Samaria, uh, not too far from it. This is where the Samaritans dwelt. And then to the far south is Judea and Jerusalem, where the temple was. So this is kind of a closer shot of the Sea of Galilee, very small body of water. You can actually stand on any part uh, of the Sea of Galilee and you can see all around it. Uh, and I was able to, to do that in my trip to Israel. Again, you have uh, Capernaum here, Bethsaida here. Uh, this is, I can't remember which mountain I was on here at this time, but this right here is the Sea of Galilee. This is uh, from the top of a mountain in a, in a shot of, of, of the area of Galilee and the Sea of Galilee. And this is actually a shot of, of, on the, of the Sea of Galilee looking towards the land of the Gadarenes, which would have been the land of the Gadarenes in the time of Jesus, looking across, literally across the sea. So the reason I, I keep bringing these things up and showing you these pictures is because I, I, I just want to emphasize to us, and I know you know this already, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong with emphasizing it, that when we read about these things in the Bible, even though we are thousands and thousands of miles from these places, these are real places. These are real places we're talking about. These are not made up fairy tale places. The Sea of Galilee does exist. You can go there. You can ride a boat on it today. I've done it. It's a real place. These are real, a real sea. These are real places where, where Jesus dwelt. And I just want to keep highlighting that. I want to try to make the Bible as real for us as possible. So the Sea of Galilee is mentioned often in the New Testament, and it goes by different names. We obviously Sea of Galilee, but there are other names it goes by. Does anybody remember some of the other names the Sea of Galilee is called by in the Bible? Yes, the Lake of Gennesaret. That's in Luke chapter 5. It's called that a couple of times in Luke 5. 
Uh, does anybody remember another name, maybe? Mitch is right about that, Lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Tiberias. It's called the Sea of Tiberias. Sometimes it's just called the sea, and sometimes it's called just the lake. So it's, it's called different things in the Bible. The Jews called it different names, Sea of Galilee, Lake of Gennesaret, the sea, the lake, Sea of Tiberias. Now, the Sea of Galilee was a very popular uh, body of water, very popular area in the time of Jesus. Many fishermen earned their living working on this sea. In fact, we know for sure the apostles did, right? Jesus called the apostles from the Sea of Galilee, Peter, James, John. They were fishermen. They did much of their work on this sea. Uh, I believe uh, James and John, their father, who was Zebedee, had a fish, owned a fishing business, it appears, and they worked for their father. So many of the apostles worked on the Sea of Galilee. They were very familiar with it. Jesus called them to follow him as they were working on the sea. I've made this point before, and I, I want to make it again. 70%, about 70% of Jesus' ministry is done around the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was also known for sudden and violent storms. It was known for that, it's still known for that to this day, where sudden and violent storms would appear out of nowhere on, on the sea. Now, Jesus performed many of his miracles on the Sea of Galilee. He calmed storms on the Sea of Galilee. He actually walked on the Sea of Galilee. We're going to talk about that tonight. So let's just break down these two examples we have here. Let's just make this our study. How about that? Let's just go through these examples and just look at what Jesus does here when he controls, shows power over, the, over weather, over the elements. Uh, let's look at that. Let's start with Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. I'll start reading verse 35. Mark 4, 35. The Bible says this. It says, On that day, when evening came, he said to them, Let us go to the other side. Now, there's that language again. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose, notice this, we just made this point. There arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care? Do you not care? They were perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So let's just break down what's going on here, and then we're going to move to the second example. In the context of those verses, we need to point out that Jesus has spent much of the day teaching. You can go back up and read the prior verses in, Matthew, in Mark, I'm sorry, Mark 4. He taught many parables on that day. He has spent much of the day teaching the Word of God, teaching in parables, and now the time of the day is what? It's the evening time. It's evening time. Jesus wants to go somewhere. He's done with his teaching. He's taught the people near the Sea of Galilee. He wants to go somewhere. Where does he want to go according to the specific language of the text? To the other side. Now, we've highlighted that language before, and we've made the point that other side can mean different things. Sometimes other side can just refer to a little boat ride 
from Bethsaida to Capernaum. But in this case, it refers more to what we are used to in our language of it, right? Which is literally other side. So we're, now we're talking about, I went the wrong way, I'm sorry. We're talking about going to the other side, to the land of the Gadarenes. Because if you remember in the next chapter in Mark 5, what, is, what miracle does he perform? He heals the men who have the demons in them. Where are they at in the land of the Gadarenes? So now we're literally talking about going from one side of the sea to the other side of the sea. He's going to the land of the Gadarenes. Now, another point we want to make is this. As they're making this trip, they're making this trip across the sea. And a, a trip, a boat ride across the Sea of Galilee would have been about, if I can recall the time right, I think it's between 30 minutes and an hour, somewhere in between there. Okay? And remember, the apostles, they do this every day. They do this for a living. This is nothing for them to get in a boat and, and travel on the Sea of Galilee, but this boat ride was a little, a, a little different, it appears. What happened? Something terrible happened when they were making this trip. They got Jesus with them. They're making a, was supposed to be a nice little boat ride across the sea. What happened? A storm pops up. What kind of storm does this appear to be? Does this appear to be like just some, no big deal, we can handle this? This is a fierce storm. It's a bad storm. I mean, the Bible really goes out of its way to describe this storm to us. When you go back and look at the text in verse 37, it says there arose a fierce gale of wind. So you have some strong winds here. And the, it's, the winds are stro so strong that it's got the waves battering the boat. It's battering the boat, and it's so bad that you got water going into the boat. Now, for those of you who've ever been on a boat before, you know that's the last place you want the water to be, right? You don't want it in the boat. You want it always outside the boat where the water is getting in the boat and it's getting so much into the boat that it's starting to fill it up. So this is a bad storm. The apostles thought they were going to die. I mean, when you look at the text carefully, it appears they thought they were going to die. Now, while all of this is going on, while all of this is going on, Jesus is doing something. What is he doing? He's sleep. He's sleep. He's sleep on the boat. The Bible says that verse 38, he was in the stern, asleep on the pillow, asleep on the cushion. Now, I think an interesting point to highlight here is here we see a part of the humanity of Jesus, don't we? Jesus gets tired. He got tired. He sleeps. We see hints of uh, his humanity throughout the Gospels. We find him getting hungry. We find him getting tired at times, sleepy at times, weary at times. These are, these are, these are his human attributes. So he's fully God and he's a fully man at the same time. Now, when the apostles see Jesus sleep in, in the boat, how do they respond? How do they respond to that? They don't think Jesus cares about what's going on here. They go to Jesus. He's asleep. And the Bible says in verse 38 that it appears they are shocked. They are shocked that Jesus can sleep through something like this. They are shocked that he can just be so calm during a storm. And it also seems like these men don't think Jesus cares about them. 
Do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care we're about to die here, Jesus? They don't seem to think Jesus cares about their problems. And have you ever felt that way before? You ever been going through something in your life, maybe a rough time in your life? The boat of your life is rocking and it's going from from place to place and the waves of life are battering your boat. And you don't really think Jesus cares. You're like, where's Jesus? I've been praying about this. My life's not getting any better. Where, where are you, Lord? You don't care. You ever felt that way? Well, if you ever felt that way, if you ever felt like Jesus doesn't care about what's going on with your boat of life, don't feel that way. Jesus always cares. He always cares. He cared about their situation. And we know that because he's going to do something, isn't he? He's going to do something. So what does he do? What does he do about the storm? Well, he calms it. He, he calms the storm. Verse 39 makes the point that Jesus, when the apostles come to him for help, and I really like that. I like how the apostles go to Jesus for help. That's what you got to do in life, right? You're going through something, you go to Jesus. He cares. So they go to Jesus. He gets up. He rebukes the wind. And I, I can only wonder what the apostles are thinking when they see him get up and start talking to the wind. He gets up and he starts rebuking the wind. In fact, he says three words to the wind. What does he say? Hush, be still. Hush, be still. Stop what you're doing. And once he said those three words, what happened? The wind obeyed him. Nature submits to him. Who has that kind of power? Well, only God has that kind of power. Why? Because he created everything. He created the wind. He created the elements. He created weather. We see that here with Jesus. Jesus says three words, and this storm that was so bad that it was bringing water into the boat. It was battering, having the waves to batter the boat. The apostles thought they were going to die. And Jesus just says three words and everything is calm. It's all calm. And so let's talk about their responses. Two responses. First, let's look at how Jesus responds to them. <laughs> Verse 40. Jesus, what do you think about how Jesus responds to them in verse 40? What do you think about that? He rebukes them. He's, he's disappointed, it appears. Right, right, Ryan? He's, he's rebuking them. He's disappointed. He asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? It's almost like Jesus is saying, you've seen me do amazing things up to this point. You should know there's no limit to my power. Do you still not have any the faith you need? Well, they didn't at this point. Now, they will later, but not right now. They don't. They're not ready. And I think a great point from here, from this is this. And you've heard me make this point and I want to make it again. Whenever you got Jesus in the boat, you shouldn't be afraid. You know, right now we're we may be looking at our society and we're looking at what's going on, all the turmoil. And maybe we find ourselves being afraid. Well, we shouldn't be afraid. I don't care what happens. I don't care what happens in Washington, D.C. We shouldn't be afraid if we really got Jesus in our boat. I'm not afraid. Because I know who's in control and I hope you feel the same way. I'm not afraid. Jesus is in the boat. And whenever he's in the boat, I don't care what storms pop up. It's all going to be OK. It's all going to be fine. Jesus is in the boat. 
And he told them, you should not have been afraid. That's the implication of the questions. You shouldn't have been afraid. You shouldn't have lacked in faith because I'm in the boat with you. Now, let's look at their response. Verse 41. Verse 41, they respond in two ways. First, they are afraid. Now, why are they afraid? The storm is gone now. What are you afraid of? His power. He's got some serious power. It reminds me of the incident in John 19. If you remember when the soldiers came out to arrest Jesus and the Bible says that when Jesus said, hey, I'm Jesus, it's me. The Bible says they fell back. <laughs> They've fallen on each other. Why? Because they know they know by his power. They're afraid. I probably would have responded the same way. I mean, this guy here, just with a few words, he can stop a storm. What can he do to me? This is God. And you know what? Should we have some fear of God? Absolutely. That's the book of Proverbs. That's a wise thing to fear God and, and his wrath and what he can do to feeble human beings. So they fear. But a second thing they do is they 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 are in awe. They have fear in awe because they ask a question. Who then is this? Who is this guy that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who, who is this guy that he can do this? Now, I submit to you that that question, that question, who then is this, that even he can do this, that even the wind and sea obey him, that's the main question of the Gospels. The main questions of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is to answer that question. You want to know who Jesus is? We're going to tell you who he is. We're going to tell you that he was a man of miracles. We're going to tell you he's the Messiah. We're going to tell you he's the Son of God. Right now, the apostles are still trying to figure this out. Who is this guy? And later on, they're going to know clearly and they're going to announce it clearly to the world. But right now, they're still trying to figure it out. <laughs> they know he's powerful. They know he's amazing. But the Gospels will continue to answer that question. Who then is this guy? It reminds me of Nicodemus. You know, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night in John 3 and verse 2. And he comes to Jesus and he says to him, he says, look, I know you are a man of God because what? No one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, notice Nicodemus didn't say, I know you're the Messiah. He didn't say, I know you're the son of God. He said, I know you got to at least be from God because you're doing things that nobody else can do unless God is with him. So let's just not think because Jesus starts doing miracles that automatically people are figuring out who he is. The miracles are impressive to them and they know he has to at least come from God. But it's a process. It's even a process with the apostles. They're asking, who is this guy? As he continues to be with them, they're going to see clearly. So let, let, let's just stop right there. So write that down, by the way. Fear and awe. Fear and awe. That's how they respond to Jesus. And that's how we need to respond to him today. Fear and awe. Fear and awe. Okay, any comments about that one? Yes, sir, uh, brother, brother Greg. Go ahead, sir. But sometimes it don't happen that way. Right. Right. 
to get through the storm. And you know what, Greg, we see that even practically with the apostles later, how there are some storms that are going to come to them in the form of persecution that won't just go away. I mean, all these men, with the exception of maybe John, died from the, for the cause of the gospel. But that didn't mean Jesus forsook them. That just means that sometimes the storm, he will take the storm away, but even if he doesn't, he's going to get you through it. And that may mean he just ultimately bring you into heaven to be with him. So that, that's absolutely right. Good point. Anybody else? Uh, Brother Lance, go ahead, sir. With all these miracles, stories, everything, as I've grown throughout my life, I break all these miracles down with a sword. Um, we have power to be able to do things, but it's an equal and opposite force. I think of this as a sword. Jesus didn't go against Yeah. That's a, I, th I think that word authority needs to be brought out here because we... This, this, this so I want yeah. to bring this to the centurion. And, and we're talking about faith here, right? And remember, the centurion said, I too am a man under authority. Right. And Jesus' response to him was, I have not found faith anywhere in Israel like this faith. Right. Right. No, that's a good point. I think we see that Jesus now not only has authority over us, but he has authority over everything. That's what and that's what the miracles demonstrate. Authority of Jesus, authority over blindness, authority over demons, authority over nature. Uh, so that, that's something good to have in mind. Absolutely. Brother Mitch, go ahead, sir. Still not going to bow down. We're not going to bow down to you. So right. They recognize that they may not get out of this alive. Right. It's God's will, but uh, either way, we're not going to do that. That's exactly right. That's a, it's the same principle. We know God can get us through this. We know He can deliver us, but even if He doesn't, that's His will, and we're still going to serve Him regardless. No, that's, that's an excellent point. So, good thoughts, everybody. Let's move on now to Matthew 14. We won't read this one. I hope you've read it already. I just kind of want to go through it with you real quick. I put some of the key points down for this next one, Matthew 14, and it's 22 through 33. Forgive me for that mistake up there, but it's 22 through 33. So let's just kind of rehearse this one real quick, okay? This one, when you go to the text, and go ahead and just turn there in Matthew 14, um, this is after the event that we talked about Sunday, the feeding of the 5,000, okay? So Jesus, again, we got another boat ride going on here, another boat ride. You see, I, see how useful and popular the Sea of Galilee was and how critical it was to Jesus' ministry, especially for travel. Very, very important. So he's, he's fed these people. Verse 23 or 22 says he wants to go to the other side. Now, when we see other side, we're not talking about the land of the Gadarenes. Now we're talking about from Bethsaida to Capernaum. OK, other side again, but it's being used differently. He sends the crowds away 
And what does he go to do? He goes to a mountain to pray. Jesus often, and you find this in the Gospels, Mark chapter 135, Luke chapter 5, 15 through 17. Often in the Gospels, you find Jesus getting away from the crowds to go talk to God. He always made time for God, even though he was way busier than us. We don't have thousands of people trying to get a piece of us all day long. Jesus did. And he always made time for prayer. And if Jesus, who was sinless, never committed one sin in his life, if he needed to make time for prayer, what do you think about Sean Jeffries? We think about you. You think we need to make time for prayer also? You better believe it. So Jesus makes time for prayer. We see him doing this at the beginning of this of this account. Now, second thing is, is after he he prays or while he's praying, I'm sorry, he he sends the apostles ahead of him. So they're going ahead of him. This is not as long of a boat ride. But. As they make this journey, another storm pops up, another storm pops up on the Sea of Galilee. Remember, this is not uncommon. It's late. The Bible says when you look at the time of the text, what does it say? What time of the night is it? Fourth watch of the night. Remember, the Jews had four watches in the night. It began at 6 p.m. From 6 to 9 p.m. is the first watch of the night. From 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. is the second watch of the night. From midnight to 3 a.m. is the third watch. And from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. is the fourth watch. So it's somewhere between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning that this miracle we're about to look at took place. It's the fourth watch of the night. A storm pops up and the apostles or the disciples become terrified about something. Now, what are they terrified at this point about? It's not about the, the storm. It's because something else happens. What are they terrified of? They slipped out on the sea during a storm, mind you, and they see what they think initially is a ghost. So that shows you there are people believing in ghosts even 2,000 years ago. They believe it. They, they think it's seen a ghost, but it's not a ghost. It's Jesus. During the middle of a storm, not on a calm night, Jesus decides to walk on water. And Mark, in his account, I believe, says that when Jesus was doing this, he was intending to pass by them. That language, intending to pass by them, doesn't mean he was trying to outrace them to, the, to Capernaum. It means he was trying to be noticed by them. He wanted them to see him. He wanted them to see him walking on the sea. Now, this miracle, and y'all correct me if I'm wrong on this. I may be wrong, but I've thought about it a lot. And maybe my brain just froze up. I can't remember anywhere else in the Bible where something like this was done. So anywhere else in the Bible we read about somebody walking on water? Can't think of anything like that. I mean, literally walking on water. This is the only time you, the first time, I'm sorry, where you find this going on. Jesus is doing something that's never been done before. He is walking on water, and the disciples at first, they don't recognize him. They're terrified. Remember, it's a storm going on. But Jesus tells them, don't be afraid. Take courage. It's me. It's me. And, you know, that's something we need to be mindful of today. Those words from Jesus, take courage, don't be afraid. We need to remind ourselves of that so often because so often we are afraid. We are terrified about life and storms in life. And we need to remember Jesus always saying to his people, take courage. 
I want you to be people of courage. The Bible says God didn't give us a spirit of timidity. We're supposed to be people of courage. So Jesus wanted them to have courage. Now, Peter, impulsive Peter, right? Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, bid me to come out there and meet you. And how did Jesus respond to that? That's a commandment. You come on. If Jesus says come, what does that mean? You come. You come to him. And Peter does it. Peter steps out of the boat. And let me just say, I believe so often we're too hard on Peter on this. We're too hard on Peter. You know, we get on to Peter because of what happens in a little bit. But at least he had enough faith to get out the boat. The other ones didn't even have the faith to get out the boat. You know, they, they, they were boat potatoes. I mean, we talk about couch potatoes. These guys were boat potatoes. They didn't want to get out the boat. They stood, they sat right there in the boat. They didn't have the faith to even take the initial step. Peter did. Peter got out of the boat, and he is the second person in the history of the world to walk on water. He actually walks on water for a time, doesn't he? He takes some initial steps with Jesus, but when did he start having some problems? The storm, there's a storm going on, right? So he's walking and he starts noticing the storm. The storm caused him to lose his focus. The storm put fear in his heart. When Peter stopped focusing on Jesus and started focusing on the storm, that's when he had some problems. That's when his faith started to waver. That's when he started to sink. He started to drown. And to his credit, when he started to sink, what does he do? He says, Jesus, save me. Help me, Jesus. And Jesus saved him. Verse 31. Jesus saved him. And Jesus questioned him about his faith, didn't he? He says, why do you, why you have such little faith? So let's talk about what happens here after Jesus gets into the boat. And this is really incredible because you got Peter doing okay. He's walking with Jesus on the water. He takes his eyes off the storm. He starts to sink. Jesus saves him. He cries to Jesus to his credit, and Jesus saves him. Jesus doesn't let him drown. He never lets his people drown. He never does. So verse 32, when Jesus got into the boat, what happened to the storm? The wind stopped. And this time, we don't find Jesus saying anything, right? He just gets into the boat. But, the, but going back to authority, Nature's still under his authority. It stops when he wants it to stop. He clearly wanted to stop then. And once he got in the boat, it stopped. And the apostles, verse 33, what do they do to Jesus? They wor- and does Jesus say, no, stop, don't worship me. Don't worship me. Th- that's not for me. Is that what Jesus does? The text don't say that. The implication is Jesus accepts the worship. And it's not the only time we find Jesus accepting worship. This is something where the Muslims really struggle with. They're shocked to know that we believe as Christians that Jesus is God and that Jesus was worshiped. Only deity is worshiped. Do you remember when John in the book of Revelation, we're reading Revelation right now. At the end of Revelation, John tries to worship an angel. What does the angel tell him? Get up, don't worship me. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a fellow servant. You worship who? God. He specifically says that Jesus is being worshipped. Jesus doesn't do like the angel. He accepts the worship. Why? Because he's God. That's why he accepts the worship. 
So they worship Jesus because, again, they are impressed by his power. They're impressed by his ability to walk on water. They are impressed by his ability to stop a storm again. And they announce the identity of Jesus. Look at the last verse again, verse 33. This is different than what you saw in Mark 4. Remember in Mark 4 at the end of that episode, they say, who is this guy? that even the wind and the sea obey him. They ask that question. But here in verse 33, they don't ask that question. They say what? You are certainly God's son. You see how they're figuring it out? They're figuring it out more and more. Jesus is being patient with them. At first, the first time he did this, there's like, okay, we know he's great, but who is he? Now they don't ask that question. Now they know who he is. You are God's son. And being God's son, Biblically speaking, is means that they recognize his deity because God's son is deity. The Jews made that connection. That's why they worshiped him. You see that they worshiped him. Then they acknowledged him as deity by calling him the son of God. The Jews knew that when when Jesus was calling himself the son of God, he was claiming to be deity. Read John 8. John 8, they want to stone him because he kept calling God his father. They knew that meant he was claiming to be equal with God, to be deity. So you see that even here. They worship Jesus. They call him the son of God. Now, let me just give you some things to think about here. Then I'll take your final comments. OK, I want to give you three lessons that I hope will encourage you. I want to encourage you tonight. Three lessons from this particular miracle. Number one. Jesus wants us to have enough faith to get out the boat. You got to get out the boat. And when I talk about boat here, obviously, we're not talking about a literal boat. I'm talking about for 2021, whatever your comfort zone is. I don't know what that is for you, but whatever it is, step out of it. Do something different. Try to take on a new challenge for God. We got to be willing to do that. You only fail when you don't try. Peter would have only failed. In his faith, if he didn't at least try to get out of the boat, he got out of the boat. He was successful. At least he was more successful than the others. So you got to step out of the boat for God. Secondly, when you step out of your boat, stay focused on Jesus. See, right now, I'm afraid that as Christians, our focus is everywhere else but Jesus. We're losing our focus. No matter what happens, keep your eyes on Jesus. Remember Hebrews? Keep fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus, live your life, do the best you can, but always stay focused on him. That's the only way your faith won't waver. OK, got to stay focused on Jesus. And then thirdly, whenever you need help in life, don't ever be ashamed to cry out for Jesus for help. Peter cried out for Jesus. He was drowning. And did Jesus say, Huck, tough luck. Shouldn't have took your eyes off the storm. Jesus brought him out. He don't let his people drown. He won't let you drown. He won't let you drown spiritually. If you ever need help, cry out to God, cry out to Jesus. Jesus will always come and help you. He'll always come and save you. Now, he may be disappointed at us at various times, but he'll never let us drown. Okay? So that's all I got there. Um, I hope that'll help you. Um, is there any final thoughts or comments?